Hi, I'm Charlotte. I'm a therapist based in little old New Zealand. Life is too short to walk around feeling crap, so come and join me as we explore how to feel better. Whether feeling better for you is about managing anxiety, improving your relationships, lifting your mood, or working out who you are in this world, this is the place where I hope you will find some strategies and insights that will help you feel better. Thanks for joining me. something a little bit different for you today. I'm not sure if you're aware but a little while ago about hmm, over a year ago I started a little closed Facebook group for women who wanted to have some input around their mental and emotional health. We had about 70 women in the group. It was awesome. I facilitated the group for a year and there were lots of great things that came out of it. I have put it on pause at the moment just in light of some of the other projects that I've got going on. But we covered lots of great ground, talked about lots of really good topics. Um, Because it was a group of women, of course, relationships came up and sex and conversations about sex weren't too far behind the relationships talks. So the best person I know in all of New Zealand to talk about sex is my friend, the sex therapist, Joe Robertson. And you know how people do that awkward thing where they say, uh, you know, oh, today we've got my friend so-and-so. Well, Joe's actually my friend, and I, um, I think she is a fabulous woman, and I am just delighted that she contributed to this little group. I had a recording of it, and so I thought, hmm, I know. I'm going to uh, slice that up into a couple of podcast sessions because I know that there are people who will be super curious to listen to this. Now, the women wrote in a whole lot of questions, that Joe and I talked about, mostly just me asking Joe. Um, but we gathered a whole lot of different questions. The questions are on when to have the sex talk with kids, sexual stamina, mismatched libido, when to talk to kids about porn, spicing up your sex life, sex aids, desire, all sorts of different things. I know that there will be something for everyone in this session. I just want to say that it is pitched towards a female audience, although. I am certain that there are men who could learn a few things from listening to this. And what I kind of went with was, you know, back in the day when you were, I don't know, 11 years old and having the sex talk at school, you were given this opportunity to do the question box thing and ask your questions about sex. But no one was really having sex back then. (laughs) So uh, isn't it good to have an opportunity to ask a professional some questions? And this was a fabulous Uh, set of answers that Joe gave and there's some great content in this. So I've diced it up into two podcast episodes and I hope you have a great time listening to this conversation with Joe Robertson. Well Joe, it's great to be here with you. I always love having sex chats with you (laughs) and um, I think one of the things I was reflecting on prepping for this was how you know back in the day usually in sort of puberty and sex ed lessons at school we got to do that question box thing where you wrote your questions on a little piece of paper and put them in the box and the the really like I loved that I'm sure I wrote like 30 questions I was like a key contributor to the question box and I loved that except one of the um challenges with that is that people haven't had sex and so when do we do the sex box thing again after people are sexually active or when there are other dilemmas kind of entering their world around navigating kids and their development and their development of understanding around sex and sexuality and porn and all of those things like we don't have many opportunities to ask questions in this space Um, and as we can see from the 10 questions that we've got from my little Facebook group today 
um, there are a whole lot of things that people want to know more about. So it's great to be here with a sexpert. <laughs> I am so happy to be here. I loved a good question box as well. Yeah. So we definitely had that in common. And it makes sense given the trajectory of my life. Yes. <laughs> How many questions do you think you put in the question box? Oh, I don't know, actually, but I did um, always feel that I couldn't put in as many as I wanted because that would get awkward, you know, and it would be maybe obvious that the same handwriting was on every question. <laughs> I just remember yeah. having having the sex talk with my mum and, um, and like crossing the line of asking too many questions. So I was like, so did you and dad have sex today? Like, I, mean, like, <laughs> I, I was like completely unaware of where the line was around too many questions, but I quickly worked that out where she was like, stay out of it. <laughs> oh my gosh. You're like my oldest, my oldest child is like that. Yeah. It's all about the questions, but it's great because he like meets me where I'm at, which is yeah. let's talk about all the things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So good. Okay. Let's crack into the questions from the group. So I have um, put these into little sections um, because some of the questions uh, sort of build on one another and so we've got a parenting section a desire section a spicing things up an enjoyment section and one on sexual function um, so we will start with the parenting question so the first one is when shall I start having the sex talk with my oldest boy who is about to turn eight and how much do I share great so when people say the sex talk sometimes they mean lots of different things so that can be a little bit tricky I generally say like the reproduction chat which is how is a baby made is really up to about age seven and the sex which is usually for most people they're doing like a penis and vagina chat that is from seven eight onwards it definitely should be done by 10 because then they're starting to get into puberty years slash they're seeing their peers going through puberty but also they might be having chats at school being exposed to porn lots of different things so you want to front foot that stuff by getting in there I, I think the perfect age is eight Hmm. so I think that's because they are also starting to look around them starting to be more romantically interested in people some are interested from age four but for the majority eight is like this really critical age they develop a lot more curiosity about their bodies about relationships but also they're often having more device use yeah. and that puts them at more vulnerability to seeing sexual content so front foot that eight's a great age definitely by 10 at the latest yeah nice nice and in terms of the how much to share at that eight kind of level what what would you be saying yeah, good. Thanks for following that up on that last bit. Um, I think you take the lead from your child, like exactly what we were talking about before. Some kids will have more questions than others. Uh, so go with them. Uh, a kid who has an appetite for um, information or curiosity, we actually really want to serve them in that because they're just going to go searching for the information elsewhere if we don't offer it. So I, I mean, I don't really think there's a, there's a limit. Um, I, yeah, I guess meet them where they're at. If you feel uncomfortable, then that might be a sign that you need to school up a little bit. Mm. So if you're starting to feel out of your depth, then go, 
hey, really want to keep having this conversation. I'm going to like bring it up with you in a few days or after I've chatted with, you know, other parent or I've done a little bit more reading about it, whatever. Mm. When, when you're uncomfortable, you tend to offer answers you don't mean mm. <laughs> and, and or like rush the process. Yeah. So you can do what I call defer, which is just wait a little bit longer, like not longer than a week, ideally, do some reading, figure out the answers you want to give and go back to it. Mm, cool. And then if people are feeling a little bit lost and want some resources or, you know, like a book that they can um, talk through or any kind of like prompts, where do they go looking for those sorts of things? There's a really amazing kids kids book called the amazing true story of how babies are made mm. and I basically recommend everyone buys it and has it in their home <laughs> and uh it's really really good at explaining all the detail not all the details but a lot of detail that often doesn't come to mind or feels uncomfortable to bring up yeah. books are a great resource because they can kids can go back to them yeah they can find them in the home. They can get the question again, just like I would have done with the encyclopedia, like gone back and reread stuff. Yeah. So that's a, that's a really phenomenal book. Strongly encourage that one. Um, <clears throat> then the book, a book, for example, for the younger years is, is Where Willie Went is oh. really good. It's a funny Great title. titles. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then you've got, you're moving into your kind of like, I don't love this book as much but good pictures bad pictures which talks about porn good pictures bad pictures junior is much better um and then talking about sex uh in general and in, in terms of information facts uh how the body works etc healthline is actually really, really good oh. that sounds surprising for a lot of people yeah. but it gives really good facts yeah. and you can you can use that great I just I think it's so helpful for people to have like something some resources to hand to uh to guide the the conversation too so that's awesome so fo following on from that question how and when do I talk to my kids about pornography I know that this is a passion topic for you <laughs> yes spent a lot of time uh thinking about looking at <laughs> interpreting uh and um educating about porn so I, I mean, to be honest, I think that by, by 10 as well. Mm -hmm. So I think eight is usually a touch young. However, some kids are more vulnerable than others. Yeah. So this is a case by case basis. Mm -hmm. But here are some of the, here are some of the kind of vulnerabilities or the risk factors. Mm -hmm. So the youngest child in the home yeah. is more vulnerable to seeing porn earlier. Mm -hmm. A child with shared custody or has a lot of um goes to a lot of houses mm -hmm. so if they have quite a social life if they're being cared for by a lot of other parents mm -hmm. if they have their own device yeah. if they're allowed devices in their own rooms yeah. uh, if they have um access to, to apps like youtube mm -hmm. then the, those are all factors that make them at higher risk for seeing sexual content mm -hmm. i think that you can start to talk about sexual content from about age four without using the word porn yeah but by 10 you really want to use the actual word because they're going to start to hear about it at, on the playground mm. it's really really frightening for people to think that that's going to happen mm. but an example would be like my nine-year-old saw um uh like very very graphic very problematic illegal 
representations of sex drawn just by vivid on the inside of a of a um slide in the playground wow so porn isn't just what they might see on Pornhub or X videos. It's also where, what they find in the playground. It's what's shared, uh, you know, amongst friends because you um, can get really pornographic language and act being talked about. Yeah. It's stuff that they see on YouTube. It's stuff that comes up on social media that you're not expecting. It's yeah. much broader um, than just the the websites. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, you've got your more vulnerable kids. You want to mm-hmm. talk about it eight's quite a good age as well when you start talking about sex um but I used to say to my kids when they were four um hey you know going to play dates etc grandma and granddads those places Mm. if you see photos or videos or pictures of people who are naked then let me know let's talk about it tell me what you've seen and we can have a you know a good chat about that you'll never be in trouble um yeah there's no consequences to seeing something basically so you don't have to use the word porn until later on but the reason we front foot this stuff is because they get the message pretty early like really early on in the primary years that there are things that are okay and not okay to talk about with parents and they learn that earlier than we we think that they do so if we get in there first before they've seen anything, heard anything, et cetera, then they already have this idea in the back of their mind that mum, dad, whoever looks after me is safe to talk to. Yeah, yeah. And I think the really motivating thing in this space is just the, actually, you want to be the first voice in there. You want to be the one that's, um, uh, you know, kind of laying the foundations of what they're going to hear. So they've got something to come back to. So often for parents, I think it's, so scary or frightening to have these conversations but the thing that can tip the motivation is what well, who do you want to be their first source of information on this yeah absolutely it's what we call the anchoring bias yeah so there's this idea that if you um if you share the information first then what they see after that they'll see through the lens of what you've set but if they see porn let's say a number of times whether it's on the slide or on a website then when you follow up two years later as is often the case then they are interpreting what you've said through the lens of what they've already seen Mm. often many times yeah 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 Mm. so for some kind of background data the average age now that um teens children etc see porn is 12 Mm. and the average age of a young person who identifies on the rainbow spectrum who identifies as queer lesbian gay trans etc is 10 yeah because they're often much more um Mm. curious about sexuality or bodies because they're trying to figure out their own sometimes they're looking for affirmation they're looking for representation so it's much earlier for again some of those more at-risk kids Mm. And I've heard you say before something really interesting around um, what you say to children about if you see any images that are like this or any videos that are like this, can you just um, share with people the wording that you use around that? Yeah, so if, if the words that we use for a um, for a child that is got the language of porn in it, so mm-hmm. we say porn is photos, videos, or cartoons. 
mm. of people showing their genitals, touching themselves or another person. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's two or more people. Sometimes it's them by themselves showing their body. Mm-hmm. But you can just remove the word porn mm-hmm. and say, you know, if you see something like photos or videos or cartoons, et cetera, et cetera. If you're with that earlier cohort where you don't feel comfortable yet. Yeah. Yeah. And something I've heard you say too, I'm drawing things out of you here that I think are are sitting in your head. The one about if you see any images and it looks like the person might be hurting the other person. Yeah. So I guess this is not just specific to porn, is it? Because they might see really violent content. There's, for example, content on YouTube that's promoting or talking about suicide, or you can, they can come across lots of websites that are promoting eating disorders. You know, there's a wide range of behaviors that we probably want to be able to talk about with them. So yeah, that's, that's a classic one. So if you see photos, videos, or cartoons, always add the cartoons piece in there. Um, Because unfortunately they do target children. Mm. that um yeah if you see photos videos cartoons of one person hurting another person using words that you think might be hurting the other person's feelings Mm. then what we call um you know avert your eyes eh? (laughs) a avert your eyes call it what it is and then tell an adult so this isn't okay shut it down and talk to somebody about it Mm. I just want to know all your friends sending their kids to you for these chats. <laughs> You've got all the they're neighborhood not. kids. <laughs> what they are doing though, is they're asking me how to have the chats I or know. they, um, I often will get a call yeah. uh, that from a parent who'll say, I've just found out they've seen yeah. XYZ. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just found out they were watching on YouTube. I've just found out that they were listening to this, even this like music, the song, and I don't know how to explain it to them. So unfortunately, the calls that I often get are about reactive. So they're after the fact as opposed to preventative. Um, But there are healthy ways to to do reactive as well. Yeah, yeah, nice. I was just imagining, you know, all the neighborhood kids at Joe's on a Tuesday afternoon for the chat. (laughs) (laughs) I would love that. That sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a great service. (laughs) Although, you know, the serious element in that is that kids need their parents to be the ones that they're coming to those anchoring conversations, hey? Yeah. Uh, Okay, so uh, last question on the parenting uh, theme or thread. How do I talk to my children about touching their own genitals? Aged, they're aged between five and eight. I'm currently saying something along the lines of it's okay, but it's something you do in private or alone. When does that conversation change to include that it's okay for other people to touch your genitals, safe sex, etc.? Yeah, so that's where you use your resource. So mm-hmm. you pull in your the amazing true story of how babies are made, and then they get the idea in that book that um, that people who want you know to touch each other so there's consent people who it for whom it feels good mm. and we always want pleasure or comfort to be a, a, a primary kind of education piece as well yeah. and ideally you know we're, we're wanting to encourage them to do that later on so you might say you know in your teenage years or some people will say as an adult so yeah. this is about family values why it comes back to the parents or the caregivers being the person who does the education because everybody has different feelings about this. So you say, you know, you might start to have boyfriends, girlfriends, both either that you want to touch them. They want to touch you. If it feels safe, if it feels comfortable, if it feels good in your body, 
if you actually want it, then that's okay. Mm. So I, I wouldn't be talking about that with your, with your young ones. Mm-hmm. However, what the book does is that obviously it, it talks about adulthood. Yeah. So they don't need to get the idea at 10 that mm. they can touch each other, mm. but they'll get that idea later on. And that will probably happen quite organically because they'll hear about friends or they actually will just intuitively want people to want that touch yeah so we often don't need to give Mm -hmm. them really clear instruction on that it's an intuitive Mm -hmm. organic process however we might want to overlay it with some of our own messaging Mm -hmm. yeah and so um I guess you know one of the things I hear behind that question is how do you um how do you appropriately guide that that uh, developmentally they're curious about their own bodies. It is okay to want to touch your body, but it's not something that we do in front of other people. And and I kind of hear the like, I don't want to introduce shame to them, but I want to guide yeah. the kind of behavioral component of this. Any kind of advice around the, how do we talk about bodies and what we do with bodies in a way that doesn't create shame? Well, I think that what that person said in that question is great. It's healthy. So you might want to add into that. Touching our own bodies can feel really nice. Yeah. So you just want to, you might want to throw in a pleasure piece because that's yeah. more likely to reduce shame. Yeah. Um, and you're, yeah, you're just affirming that. So you might want to say, you know, when we touch our own bodies, that can feel really nice. It can make us feel really good. And that's cool. That's great. It's all good to do that. And it's all good to make our bodies feel good. We do it in, in private, in our bedrooms, um, so that no one else around us feels uncomfortable. And also we don't show each other our genitals, you know, because it is private. It is something we want to keep safe. So um, throwing in the pleasure piece is often really helpful. If um, most young ones will stop touching themselves when they've got undies or shorts on. Mm. you know so most will just like the the item of clothing will change that from happening so if your kids are getting to an age where or or they're starting to you know get changed go swimming etc in front of older kids you feel like this is not an appropriate age anymore for them to touch themselves in front of other people then just put their clothes on yeah you don't need to even say anything like when my kids were younger that's what I would do I wouldn't say anything about them touching themselves that's what they were doing I'd just whip their pajamas on or whatever yeah. and it just tends to stop yeah. if it doesn't mm-hmm. uh, then that's where you're having your conversations if they continue to do it in front of other people then sometimes it's actually about a stress response yeah. and they're seeking comfort for example kids with adhd are more likely to touch themselves Mm -hmm. they're more likely to have kind of fidgeting behaviors kids who are highly anxious are more likely to touch themselves because it's a it's a soothing behavior it's comfort seeking so you're talking about emotions what's going on for them not just them touching their bodies it's kind of taking a broader um i guess a broader observation of who they are and what's going on yeah, yeah. I often wear up when I've come up against this uh, question in counseling, uh, particularly with kids, I take it back to the emotion regulation. Um, you know, what is, how, what do we, un- what can we understand about what's happening for them, what they're trying to achieve through this? 
how we make sure they've actually got other really good options when they're around other people of yeah. what do they do to regulate their emotions. So sometimes it's nothing to do with a sex related um, no. uh, kind of, you know, question or response that we need to give. It's an emotion regulation um, answer that that's more appropriate. Hey. Yeah. I'm going to end things here. They were a whole lot of juicy questions, right? I hope you're enjoying this. I hope that you gained a lot from that episode. And don't forget to tune into the next episode where I throw some more questions at Joe. Thanks for listening to this episode. I'd love to connect. So feel free to find me on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. And don't forget to subscribe so you can see when the next podcast episode is out. See you next time.